0: You are listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, please visit GoCentralChurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Mike Quogan. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to the book of Luke. Chapter one and verse thirty-nine is where we are going to be starting this morning. Is Luke chapter one verse thirty-nine? And while you're turning there, uh, I don't know about you, but I just I love Christmas. Right? I, I love Christmas, and it's not just Christmas Day, uh, it's the whole season, you know, For you know, I, it's for me, as much as I want to, I want to start to celebrate Christmas as soon as Halloween is over, you know, like, I want to, I know that there's some people that, like, even before Halloween, like, there was, like, three or four Christmas trees up in your house, you know, I understand, like, I want to, but then it's kind of like, but once we get past Thanksgiving, which I love Thanksgiving, but once that kind of comes around, then it's like, all right, like, now we're ready to roll, right, now, now it's Christmas, Christmas time, and then maybe if you still struggle after that, uh, maybe now that your calendar says December, you're like, okay, now it's time, right? Now it's time. It's funny because I love Christmas. I love what what comes with that season, but it's also it's a really cool reminder for me uh, and, and for my wife Kayla because during Christmas was around the time where we started to actually fall in love with each other. We started to you know we, that's we actually started dating December 27th. Uh, fast forward a couple years, we got engaged on December 10th, Uh, you know, love is just kind of in the air during December, Uh, uh, two of our really best friends uh, got engaged on Christmas Eve, Uh, another one of my best friends that I grew up with, he was engaged on Christmas Eve, it's like, December is a time for love, but not just romantic love. I think it's also a time where we get to see people love one another in in, in kindness, right? We see, you know, it's a time where people just seem to be extra generous during Christmas time. You know, it's like, it's funny, these people that maybe drive you crazy your entire, you know, all year long around Christmas is like, you know what, I'll buy them that thing or whatever, right? Like, we get really nice during Christmas. You know, it's interesting because, you know, love is something that we as Christians, we talk a lot about. Right? Love is something that, that is is something that is a virtue that, that we strive for and we love and we enjoy. And there's a lot for us to learn about love. What is you know scripture says that what they will know that we are his disciples, what? By how we love one another. I think of the old song that I grew up singing a lot, like they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love, they will know we are Christians by our love. <laughs> See how it's not strictly romantic love, but it's also there's brotherly love. Love of how we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. There's how we love God, and there's how we lo- he loves us. But in Luke chapter 1, what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see something that I think is incredibly important, and that is that our love for one another and our love for God is based on God's love for us. Amen. That our love for one another and our love for God is based first on God's love for us. So if you would, please stand with me as we read from Luke chapter 1 this morning, starting in verse 39. It says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, and the baby in my womb had leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the Christmas season. And God, I ask that this morning as we study your scriptures, that Father, that you would, Father, you would just give us all ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are receptive to your word. Father, we know that your word says that it will accomplish that which you have set forth to do. So God, we ask that your word will accomplish your will in us this morning. God, we thank you and we praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So the first two uh, narratives that we see in the book of Luke are are, are actually very similar. You know, it's interesting. We're still in chapter one, but so much has happened in this first chapter of Luke. We see these two stories, and both of them are stories of miraculous conceptions, right? If you remember, if you were with us last week, Pastor Ethan shared about the angel Gabriel coming to Mary. And and telling Mary that she is pregnant, she is going to give birth to the Savior of the world. If you remember also, uh, Pastor Ethan shared with us last week about another miraculous conception where the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and told him that his wife Elizabeth would also be pregnant and give birth to an incredible young man that we know as John the Baptist. Right, so you see these two miraculous conceptions, and they, they mirror each other a lot in, in very similar ways, right? We see that Mary what? Mary is a young, unmarried virgin. Right? So a young, unmarried virgin, never been with a man. So impossible for her to conceive, impossible for her to become pregnant. Well, we also see that Elizabeth is older in years. She's been married for many years. She has been barren her entire life, and she is past the age of being able to bear children. Two miraculous conceptions, two incredible babies that are being placed in the wombs of those two women, and two separate stories that, in the passage we read this morning, become one story. Two independent stories that we see become one incredible story this morning. And as these two women meet, we see God's divine hand being made even more clear in what he's doing. So the first thing that I want us to look at this morning is I want us to look at our love for one another. Our love for one another. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. You see, Mary has just heard, she's just had this incredible experience. right? Mary has just heard from the angel Gabriel that she is now pregnant with the Savior of the world, pregnant with the Messiah, pregnant with the Son of God. And when Luke tells us in those days, literally what he's saying is that she left very, very quickly. Right? It, says, it says here that she left what? With haste. And we, ha- and we know that she must have left almost immediately after hearing these words because we know that in Scripture it tells us that when Gabriel came to Mary, Elizabeth was in her sixth month of pregnancy. Elizabeth was already six months pregnant. And Mary gets to see Elizabeth, and scripture tells us later on in Luke that she was with Elizabeth for three months, and then we see the description of the birth of John the Baptist, which if we do our math, right, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means that she must have gotten to Elizabeth while Elizabeth was still (laughs) six months pregnant. See, Mary did not delay. She did not hesitate, but she went with haste to see her relative Elizabeth. And that's, you know, that would be one thing, right? I mean, it's an exciting moment. But here's the thing. It's not like Elizabeth lived down the street, right? It's not like Elizabeth was in the same, and not like, oh, she's in the cul-de-sac. You know, I'll just, you know, I'll walk down with her, you know. Me, uh, me and Kayla, we have some friends that live in our neighborhood, so there's times where we're like, you know what, well, we'll walk the dog. You know, we'll walk the dog, go say hey to some friends, right? That's not exactly how this was. See, Elizabeth was in the hill country in Judah, while Mary was in Galilee. This is a trip of over 80 miles. An increase of elevation of over 1,000 feet. Mary is 13, 14 years old. All right, She is about to make a journey... That is probably longer than anyone in this room cares to walk in their entire life, right? (laughs) Like, I am not, I am not a walker. I just, I, like, I'll, it's also, I'm also not a runner, right? If you see me running, there's probably a reason that you should be running too, okay? If I'm running and there's not like a ball involved, uh, just, just, just head the direction I'm heading and, uh, and, and, and you will be good, right? See, Mary is on her way to make this journey. She is about to traverse 80 miles uphill to go see Elizabeth, right? At this point, you know, it would be extremely rare to see a young woman at this age in her condition traveling this distance on her own. Now, we don't know if she was by herself. Right, Most likely she wouldn't be, but we really don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we know that she heard this news and almost immediately left to go see Elizabeth. So this leads us to ask this question, right? Why would Mary be so eager to visit Elizabeth? Why would she be so eager? I mean, why the rush? Why the rush? Why not give it some time? Why not let things simmer down for a second? Well, I think to understand this, we need to kind of put ourselves in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Let's let's remember everything that we know about Mary. Let's place ourselves in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Mary is engaged to be married. She's a young girl, engaged to be married. She is a virgin. And now she's told that she's pregnant. Uh, That's big news, right? It's kind of a big deal. She's told that she is now pregnant. Not only is she pregnant, but she is pregnant with the Savior of the world. Pregnant with the Messiah. Pregnant with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Pregnant with the Son of God. Could you imagine the wave of emotions? Of course, like, joyful, right? Of course, joyful. Joy to the world, right? But I'm sure there's also some feelings of fear and anxiety, in confusion. Probably asking, probably asking yourself, who in the world would possibly believe me? Yep. I mean, parents, put yourself in, in, in the shoes of Mary's parents. <laughs> Your teenage daughter is engaged to be married. She comes to you and says that she is pregnant. And she says that as an angel came to her. An angel came to her and told her that she would be pregnant with the Son of God, and that she is still a virgin. You would look at her like she is crazy, right? I mean, Mary is probably asking who in the world, who in their right mind would possibly believe me? She has experienced a miracle that she cannot prove. She can't run back the tape, right? She can't run back the tape to show them what happened. She can't put them, you know, she can't have, there was, she doesn't have any evidence to prove anything. All she has is her own experience of what the angel has done, what the angel has told her, what the Holy Spirit has done. Amen. That's all she has. So, she runs to Elizabeth. But then, here's the question again, right? Why Elizabeth? Why not Joseph? I mean, her, her fiancé, soon to be husband, the one that should know her the best. Why not her parents? Why would she traverse over 80 miles uphill to go see Elizabeth? I mean, what even brings Elizabeth to her mind? Well, if we go back to what we talked about last week, if you remember, Pastor Ethan shared that the angel told Mary about Elizabeth's miraculous conception, right? He had told Mary that Elizabeth had miraculously become pregnant with a child. But here's the question. What was the context in which Gabriel told her this? Did Gabriel show up on the scene and say, Hey, Mary, guess what? Elizabeth's pregnant and so are you. <laughs> Did he say, Mary, guess what? You and, you and Elizabeth are both pregnant at the same time. Isn't that awesome? Now the angel, he doesn't even mention Elizabeth. Until what? Until Mary asks a question. He doesn't even mention Elizabeth until Mary asks a question. What does she say? She goes, How will this be since I am a virgin? See, I believe what you're telling me, but how is this possible? I think it's a logical question, right? How is this possible? See, when given the unbelievable news that she would conceive as a virgin, Mary asks, how in the world is that going to happen? Then Gabriel explained everything to her. He talks about how the Holy Spirit will place that baby in her womb. Here Gabriel explains everything, but then he goes on and he does something interesting. He goes on and he says, and he tells her about the miracle of Elizabeth's pregnancy as well. If you go back, he says, in verse 36 of Luke chapter one, he says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. And then I love this statement, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Amen. For nothing will be impossible with God. You see, Gabriel has just given Mary the news that seems to be unthinkable. He's just told her that the impossible is going to happen. And Mary says, how will this happen? What does he do? He reassures Mary by pointing her to a miracle that happened in someone else's life to prove that God can do whatever he wanted in her life. Amen. See, nothing is impossible with God. When you're struggling, when you're down and when you're out, you need to understand, hey, you know what? There's miracles that have been done in other people's lives and what God has done for you and what God has done for others, God can do for you. So Mary makes this trip to see Elizabeth, no doubt the entire way, just longing for some confirmation, right? Just longing for some confirmation. Just, okay, I, I, I just, like, I believe, she believed God, but just longing to just get some confirmation, get some reassurance about what she's been told. See, Mary knew that if anyone would believe her, it would be Elizabeth. If anyone would believe that an angel came and told her of a miraculous conception, it would be Elizabeth. Mary knew this. So she goes to see her. She's on her way, because you see, Mary is alone at this point. Imagine how lonely Mary must feel. Although this is an incredible miracle that God has worked in her life, it is a miracle that has caused her to feel totally alone. Even her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, when he finds out that she is pregnant, what does he do? Scripture tells us that he plans on divorcing her quietly. Because in his mind, the only way this could happen is if she had committed adultery. There's no one. An incredible miracle that brings incredible joy, but has left her totally alone. So she hurries to see Elizabeth, the one person that she knows can relate to where she is. The one person that she knows can comfort her and reassure her. Now, does this mean that Mary lacked faith or did not believe? No, of course not. Why? What did we see last week? We see that Mary, what? Her response to the angel was what? One of belief and of faith. Later on in this passage, Elizabeth actually says, what does she say? She goes, blessed, sorry, I've lost my spot in here. She goes, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, we know that Mary's response was a response that was marked with belief and faith. Mary is identified as someone that believed the word of God. So this is not a lack of faith. But I want us to hear something this morning. This is very, very important. You see, Mary understood That she could find reassurance of God's work in her life and comfort during her confusion through the community of others that have experienced a similarly miraculous work of God in their life. That is what Mary understood. Here's what I want us to see this morning. Isn't that the church on display? Yes. Isn't that what this is this morning? Is a collection of people who have experienced the miracle of God in their life and we comfort one another, we encourage one another, we assure one another, and we come alongside one another. Yes. Isn't that what we do every Sunday? Yes. Or what we should do every Sunday? Do. See, when you are saved by the blood of Jesus and you are forgiven of your sins, that is a miracle. Yes. That is an incredible miracle that cannot be understated, it cannot be overstated. God has done in your life that which you could not have possibly done for yourself. God has done for you in your life what you could not have possibly ever fathomed, thought of, or dreamed of. He's done something so wonderful that words cannot express. Here's something we need to remember, that salvation is a miracle unlike any other. God can, what do we see, Jesus walked on water, He can give sight to the blind. He can raise dead men to life. But there's no miracle like seeing someone being dead in their sins to alive in Jesus. Salvation is a miracle. Maybe you're in this room or you're watching online and you have experienced this miracle, this life-transforming miracle. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus and forgiven of your sins, and that is reason to rejoice. It's reason to rejoice. However... It is a miracle that has also come with some natural challenges. It's a miracle that probably puts you at odds with family and close friends. Right, maybe you feel like Mary. It's a a reason to rejoice. But it comes with challenges. Perhaps you think, man, there's no one who's gonna believe me. No one could possibly believe that who I was is dead and in the grave and I have been raised as a new creature in Christ. Who would possibly believe me? Perhaps there's even people in your life right now that say, yeah, we'll see. I bet it's just a phase. We'll see what happens. While you're overjoyed by the miracle of God working in your life, you are daily faced with the struggle of feeling that you are alone during it. And let me tell you that you are not alone. You are not alone. This passage passage shows us that only people who have experienced the miracle and the work of God in their life can reassure and comfort you while God does the same in yours. So if you're in this room and the miracle of salvation has put you at odds with loved ones or close friends or family members, whatever it may be, and it has brought challenges, you know what? There are people in this very room, in this very moment, who have been there, who have walked where you have walked. You see, Mary and Elizabeth could rejoice and find comfort in the fellowship of one another because both of them had experienced the impossible and they could both rejoice and comfort one another along the way. Man, that is beautiful. And if this is not your experience in church, that is a problem. This is what we are called to be. Every single one of us was dead in our sins at one point. Every single one of us needed a miracle of God to bring us where we are today. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if your current status of life, rich, poor, hungry, full. It doesn't matter if you had the worst of upbringings or the best of upbringings. There's common ground at the cross. We could be totally different, but we have the cross in common. And man, you'd be amazed at the unity that comes with that. You'd be amazed. Mary was young. Elizabeth was old. Mary was unmarried. Elizabeth had been married for many years. Joseph, Mary's hu- soon-to-be husband, was a carpenter. Zachariah was a, was a prophet. But man, they came together by the miracle of God in their lives. And that's what we do. So while our lives may look different, we find common ground at the cross. And you see this, that our love for one another is, fierce, is first fueled by the love that we share in Christ. Our love for one another is fueled by the love that we share in Christ. But the second thing we see is our love for who God is. We see our love for one another, but we see our love for who God is. In verse 41, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow! Just think about that for a second. Wow. Mary enters the house of Elizabeth and greets her. And when she does, Scripture tells us that the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy. Now, there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot of people who like to read this and say, well, that's just what six-month-old babies in the womb do. They move. But I think that there's a lot more to this. Elizabeth even goes on to say how the baby in her womb leaped for joy. And I'll explain that a little bit in a second. But there's a lot to unpack and there's a lot of significance to this. But in order for us to understand the significance of what this baby is doing, we need to understand who this baby is. See, Elizabeth is not just pregnant with, you know, Bob down the street. (laughs) Elizabeth is pregnant with John the Baptist. Now, John is not exactly the son of God, Right? Right, if there was a competition of my kid better than your kid, Mary would win every time, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just think of like just the random of things, you know? Soccer tournaments, well, you know Jesus is going to get it, you know, whatever, okay, anyway. <laughs> Sorry, focus, okay. Uh, but, right, so we, we see that you know that he, John's not quite the Son of God, but he's still an incredibly significant figure in Scripture. still incredibly significant Luke chapter 1 verse 16 when Gabriel comes to Zechariah what does he say he goes and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared what was God's plan for this baby God's plan for John. What was John's task? John was to be a prophet that went before the coming Messiah to prepare the people for what Jesus was coming to do. And that is no small task. That John was to be a prophet of the Lord that came, went before the King of Kings and proclaimed the King is coming. John had an incredibly important task. All throughout John's ministry he would have people come and ask him, right, who are you? What does John say? John 1, 23. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. See, and this is as John is quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, because just as there are prophecies that, that, profe- that uh, foresee the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, there are also prophecies that talk about the coming of his messenger, John the Baptist. And John saw himself, understood that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, verse 3. He is that one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the paths for the Lord. It's a prophecy that predicts a prophet would go before the Messiah to prepare the way for him. Elsewhere, we see this prophesied again in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, where God says, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. See, this is not unique imagery here. This is something that would happen all the time, right? As a king was going to go to a city, a messenger would go before him. And proclaim to everyone and let them know, hey, the king is coming. The king is coming. And he would get things prepared. He would make sure that the roads were ready. He would make sure that this, all these things were ready. John was to be a great prophet that would prepare the way for the Messiah. And one that Jesus will say was the greatest to ever live. Matthew 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's big things for Jesus to say. See, this was no ordinary baby. This was a prophet of God with one purpose, to prepare the way for his king. And for the first time in his life, this baby was in the presence of his Lord and he responded accordingly. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Amen. So here's the question. How could this baby have possibly have responded like this? How could this baby have possibly responded like this? How could this baby have possibly known that Jesus was in the womb next door? (laughs) Right? How could he have known? I'm 27 years old, and half the time, I don't even know who I'm sitting next to. (laughs) I think we find this answer earlier in Luke, chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. This is Gabriel speaking to Zechariah. He says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have a joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Did you catch that? Did you catch that at the very end? Did you catch? He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. That is the key. That is the key. You see, John could respond to the presence of God because he was first filled with the Spirit of God. Even from his mother's womb. You see, that is the key to this entire thing. That is the focus of this entire thing. If you miss that, if you miss what happened earlier in Luke where Gabriel says that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even while in his mother's womb. If you miss that and you miss the whole significance of what John is doing here. The key to this entire thing was John was filled with the Spirit of God even from his mother's womb which enabled him to have an awareness of God despite the fact that he had not even been born yet. Wow, That is fantastic. That is just mind-blowing. You see, it is the Spirit of God that gives us the ability to respond to Jesus. Nothing else. That's right. See, I can come up here and I can preach the perfect sermon. I can have the best illustrations and the best analogies. We can laugh and cry together. Somehow it would be five minutes and you would get out early for lunch, right? (laughs) It could be the most amazing sermon you've ever heard, but if the Spirit of God does not work in your hearts and in mine, then it is wasted breath. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding to these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 10-13, through Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except for the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That is the key. It was not John's intellect that enabled him to be aware of Jesus. It was not John's hard work or years of study that led to an awareness of Jesus. It wasn't John's seminary training that led him to an awareness of Jesus. It was not all the good things that John had done in his life to merit him being aware of Jesus. He was a six-month-old fetus in his mother's womb. He was the Spirit of God that filled John on the basis of God's grace that enabled John to recognize Jesus. Hallelujah. And the same thing that enabled that six-month-old baby in his mother's womb to recognize Christ when he was in the presence of his Lord is the same thing that gives us the ability to recognize the Lord as well. Amen. If you think that's amazing, then I'll tell you what's even more amazing. Isn't it amazing that we see more of a response from a six-month-old fetus than we do from most Christians today? Do you understand that when you and I profess to be Christians, we are professing that we are filled with the same spirit that caused that six-month-old baby in his mother's womb to leap for joy? That's what we're professing. When we say, I am a Christian, and I read this passage, and I see how the Holy Spirit caused John to leap for joy in his mother's womb, I say, that same spirit is in me. (laughs) That the Holy Spirit would fill you and fill me and cause us to not look any different than the world, He can cause a six-month-old fetus in his mother's womb to leap for joy, but it can't cause me to obey. See, you and I are marked by the presence of God. The people of God have always been marked by the presence of God. Go back to the Old Testament all the way through the New. That the Holy Spirit would indwell an unborn child and cause it to leap for joy in the presence of his Savior. Now, here's the question. What is more hard to believe that the Holy Spirit would fill a six-month-old child in his mother's womb and cause him to leap for joy, or that a person could be filled with that same spirit for years and look no different? I would tell you that the second is far more hard to believe than the first. I'll give you a little bit of an illustration. My, my mom loves Candles. Scented candles, not just random candles, right? Uh, but I grew up, and, and I remember I would always go Christmas shopping for my mom, and I would know my mom loves scented candles. And I have learned this also as I got married. That's not just my mom. I think most women love scented candles. Uh, you know what? I've been married long enough. I love scented candles, okay? <laughs> but, but here's the thing. So uh, men and, uh, and, and children in this room, if you're looking for something to get your wives or your moms, uh, get them a scented candle, right? But it's funny because we would always... Every year, I'd go with my dad, and we would walk into the Yankee Candle in the mall, and every man in this room, if you have bought your wife or someone, a woman that you love a scented candle, we've all experienced the same thing. First, you walk in, and you're just overwhelmed by the array of smells that you're getting. It's overwhelming, right? Guys, we're not used to smelling that many good things at once. We're just, like, overwhelmed by it, right? And then we do the same thing, right? So we look at all of the candles, right? Or like, Rustic Cabin, that sounds like something she would like, right? Or, or Marshmallow Campfire, that sounds, that's, that's, that seems like the thing. And we do, here's what we do, we grab it, we pop the lid, and every man knows what I'm about to do, we go, and if we're, if we're with someone, we go, what do you think of that, All right? All right. All the while doing our best to act like we're not enjoying it, right? We're like, oh, yeah, I got to do this for the wife, you know? Yeah, oh, gosh, right? That's just kind of the experience we have. And I remember there was a candle that I saw that was called Fresh Lawn Clippings, believe it or not. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I have to see. I have to see. So I picked this candle up, and I smell it, and I'm not lying. You would be amazed at how you would think that someone, if you blindfolded me and put that candle underneath me, I would think that someone's mowing the lawn outside. Like, it's smelled exactly like fresh lawn clippings, but when I looked at the candle, there was clearly no fresh lawn clippings in there, right? It had the appearance, it had the smell, it even had the title, but it really wasn't the real thing. And here's what I think is that a lot of people professing to be Christians today are like that candle. That we have the title. We have the, we're the same color. We may even smell like it, but when you take the lid off, It's anything but. We're just scented candles that one day will run out and be thrown away. See, our love for God is fueled by our knowledge of who he is, which I talked about a couple weeks ago. And this knowledge of who he is is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to belabor this next point. But I do think it is one that is incredibly important to make, especially in our culture today. At six months, the baby in Elizabeth's womb can open his eyes, can see the light around him, can hear sounds, and can respond to them. He has his own fingerprints, has his own pulse. See, this baby was able to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This baby was able to respond to the presence of his Lord while in his mother's womb because he was not simply a clump of cells. He was not simply a growth... He was not simply a growth that was a part of his mother's body. He was a baby. And in this story, we see yet again that God's plans for life do not start outside the womb. But as Paul says to the church in Ephesus, that God's plans for you and for me and every baby and every womb in the world today, those plans started from the foundations of the world, even before the womb. And you and I do not have the right to determine what lives get to be lived and which ones don't. Now, abortion is a sin. But as the church, we must remember that it is not an unforgivable sin. That while we boldly preach truth, we also boldly show grace. Boldly show grace that we so often talk about. And if you're in this room this morning, if you're watching online, and you have committed an abortion, you need to know that the grace of God is stronger than any sin you have ever committed. And Jesus died for that sin just as much as he died for any of my sins. And as a church, we need to preach truth, but we also need to preach and show grace. So we see our love for who God is based on what? How the Holy Spirit has revealed himself to us. And the last thing is our love for what God has done. So, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now she begins to proclaim things to Mary. Now there's this this is a progression that we see oftentimes in the Old Testament, right? When the prophets would speak, what would happen? Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would cry out to the people. I think it's very important that we see that Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it validates what she is about to say. That the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Do you think that was the first time Elizabeth has felt John move? Probably not. But there was something different about this one. And the Holy Spirit allowed her to understand what it was. Now, there's a lot that we can get into and in what Elizabeth says here, but there's one thing I want to focus on with the little bit of time I have left. And that is, she says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately we see the humility that the Holy Spirit brings. I mean, Elizabeth is about to have a pretty incredible birth herself, Right. Elizabeth is about to give birth to a miracle. She is giving birth to a prophet. But when she thinks of herself, all she can can do is think of how fortunate she is that the mother of of her Lord would even come to her. She sees no reason to boast in herself. Elizabeth is simply thinking to herself, who am I that the mother of my Lord would come to me? But isn't that just it, though, right? Isn't that just it? It has nothing to do with her. In fact, it actually has nothing to do with Mary either. You see, what made Mary so honorable to Elizabeth was who Mary was carrying. Amen. Not Mary herself. That's right. Elizabeth simply could not fathom why she would have this incredible moment. She looks at herself and sees nothing within her that would warrant such an incredible gift. But I want you to notice something, that it wasn't about Elizabeth, it wasn't about Mary. Rather, it was who was in Mary that gave both Mary and Elizabeth meaning. Give you another illustration. Last Christmas, my parents uh, got my wife and I a gift. Um, they got us a bean bag. Now, that sounds like bean bag, but let me tell you about this bean bag, okay? This bean bag is like, it's like a 10-foot bean bag. It is like... I don't even know how to explain how massive this beanbag is, to the point to where Kayla and I don't know where to put it. Uh, like, I love, thank you for the beanbag, but I don't know where to put it half the time. Uh, so we were just kind of throwing it in places, and I remember when they got the beanbag, bag, uh, it came with no beans in it. It was just like a big sack. Uh, so they bought some stuffing to put in this bean bag, and they were stuffing it and stuffing it, and in the process of stuffing this bean bag, my dad's wedding ring fell off and it, got, it was lost in this beanbag. And they've tried metal detectors, they've tried everything, and they can't find this beanbag. And a year later, to this day, in my house is a beanbag with a wedding ring in it. Now, that, that, that beanbag inherently has very little value. It's comfortable, it's a gift, I appreciate it. But because of what is in that beanbag, I will have that bean bag to the day I die. (laughs) Right? See, it is not the bean bag that that gives it its worth. It's what was placed in that bean bag that makes it so valuable to me. See, it's because of what was in that bag that gave it its incredible worth. And if you are a Christian, what God has placed in you is worth more than anything else about you more than what others say about you, more than what your past is, more than the sins that you may have committed, more than the things that you're worried about in the future. What God has placed in you is what gives you your value and your worth. In addition to that, if you're within the sound of my voice this morning, please hear me when I tell you that God coming to you is not about your merit. It's not that you were just, you were just that swell that God had to have you. is isn't because God saw something so incredibly valuable in you. It is because of his goodness and his grace. You see, we love God because of who he is, but we also love him because of what he has done. Because 2,000 years ago, that baby would grow up, live a sinless life, and die on the cross for you and for me. And when we approach Christmas, we were reminded that our love for him is born out of a greater love that he had for us. As we approach Christmas, as we gather together tonight of our Christmas night of worshiping, we worship what God has done. Emmanuel, God with us. We need to remind ourselves why is it that my Lord would come to me? And it's not because of your merit. But it's because of his goodness. John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17 is just as good. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And if you celebrate Christmas and you forget that, then we've missed the whole point. See, we, we... can love others and we can love God because first of all, there's a greater love that fuels it. And that is God's love for you and for me. And if you're in this room and you have not experienced that, please do not leave this place without talking to someone about what this love looks like and what it means. And if you are in this room and you have a relationship with Christ, celebrate that. This mo- tonight, join us tonight for our night of worship as we worship God and we praise him for what he's done in coming to us. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. God, I ask that what I could not do, your Holy Spirit would do. And Father, as we respond to you in worship, that Father, if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as Savior, God, that you would do what you do best and that is call sinners to yourself. God, we thank you for your love that you have for us that fuels us to love others and fuels us to love you. God, I thank you and praise you in the name of your son, Jesus. Thank you again for listening to The Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at gocentralchurch.org.